For this episode, I sat down with about 20 people in New York City to talk about sex party culture. A lot of these individuals throw parties, others simply attend events. And out of everyone I spoke with, I think Jefferson might have had the earliest start. I was a slutty teenager. I went to a fine arts high school, and at that high school, a lot of us had sex with each other. It was like a pornographic fame? <laughs> kind of. It was, like, it was like a naked fame. I was helped along by the fact that my uh, family had a swimming pool. You put together teenagers, a swimming pool, and beer, and you got a, a sex party waiting to happen. Jefferson began having sex with girls at 15 and boys at 16, the exact kind of behavior you'd expect at Naked Fame High School. He knew he was neither gay nor straight, but lacked the vocabulary necessary to accurately identify himself. Until luckily, a conversation about David Bowie finally introduced him to the word bisexual. And a light bulb went off over my head. I was like, oh my God, I'm not a freak. There's me and there's David Bowie. And so, you know, if Bowie's doing it, it's got to be okay with me. So from then on, I always identified as bisexual. I met the woman that I would come to marry. Our first date was a threesome. And then uh, we spent that summer having a foursome with another couple. And then she decided, you know, she wanted to be monogamous with me. And I was like, of course, that's what you do. I mean, I'm 23 years old now. It's time to grow up and get monogamous. And we got married. And then I spent the next 15 years not having sex, really. I think David Bowie helped a lot of young men and women discover all kinds of interesting things about their sexual selves. Bowie came up in a number of these conversations, in part because they were all recorded the week he died. In 2004, Jefferson started writing about his post-divorce sexual adventures on a blog entitled One Life, Take Two. It became quite popular, and amazingly, like people were... Um writing to me and some people were coming to New York to have sex with me, you know, and people have sex with you because you're attractive or you're funny or something. But when people want to have sex with you because of the way you write, sight unseen, that's the best thing there is. So um, I was by this point um, beginning to take the people that I dated and put them together and create orgies. And so we were having at the time biweekly orgies and I was writing this blog and life was going along pretty swimmingly. This led into storytelling. I started going to the competitive storytelling event, The Moth, at the behest of a friend. And I would get up and tell stories. Um, and at first, I felt I was failing to connect with people. I was trying to keep the same two themes that I had in my blog, which were parenting and, and sex. The difference between the blog, though, and storytelling was that in the blog, I'm developing a character over time. So you get to know Jefferson. In storytelling, I just go up on stage and I've got five minutes and the people there don't necessarily know who I am. So I had to learn to make it relatable. That led me to starting my own storytelling show, Bear, True Stories of Sex, Desire, and Romance, which I do every month in New York and Philadelphia. We've done it in Boston, we've done it in D.C. It travels around. And, and that show is a curated show. I know all these storytellers and I put them together to, to be in, in the show. But we always have one part of the show, which is an open mic part. So someone from the audience could get up and tell a story. And that's the wild card. That's my, my favorite part of the show because I, I don't know what's going to happen there. And that's so enjoyable to me that that led me to start an open mic called Foreplay, a sexy storytelling open mic, which we now do every single Monday at the Delancey. Uh, it's always free and I always have a guest storyteller, and we go until everybody's had a chance to tell their story. And it's a, been a blast. It's been a while since Jefferson updated One Life Take Two, but all of the previous posts are still online and definitely worth checking out. 
In addition to writing about his sexual adventures, Jefferson also used the blog to promote sex parties he was hosting, one of which has a delightfully colorful name. It's called the Bukaki Social Club. And in its initial form, it'd be me having sex with a woman, having a live sex show, and surrounded by the gents. Now, the gents can be any gender, but typically male, um, who watch, and um, then they shower their affections on the guests of honor at the end of the, at the, end of the evening. I've done that for years. It's, it is such a blast. And yes, numerous female-bodied gents have contributed to this shower of affection through squirting. Jefferson mentioned that some guests of honor voice preferences for where the gents are to aim this deluge of affection, which makes sense, but also kind of surprised me because of the definition I had for Bukaki. Yeah, I don't know that Bukaki actually necessarily does, requires a face, does it? I that's how I that's always your first vision of it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I always thought it it was all face, but maybe it has a wider definition than that. Maybe I've, it's I've maybe a pearl necklace is a form of bukkake. I would I would claim that. I mean, I might be mistaken, but that's about it. I would, we'll look it up. Yeah, we'll have to we'll, look this up. This will be fact checked. <laughs> I'll get the Washington Post on it. Those motherfuckers at the Washington Post have refused to comment on my many Bukaki-related inquiries. But luckily, the internet is chock full of relevant information. There are many sources out there, and I love that both Dictionary.com and Wikipedia have dedicated pages focused on this very topic. So after spending more time reading about Bukaki than anyone probably should, I am inclined to agree with Jefferson. It doesn't really matter where the cum goes. At the height of the Bukaki Social Club, he was hosting this event every other week. It's always been an invite-only event, but in the past he would post on his blog that he was accepting applications from prospective gents. Now in its 14th year, BSC is far less frequent, so gents are mostly selected from his list of prior attendees. My list currently resides at, a, at about 300 potential invitees, but I shut down the um, RSVPs at 10, because beyond 10, it, it, plus myself and the guests of honor, beyond 10 is just uh, too much. Right, right. So you you invite the first 10 and then see who RSVPs and then move on to a it, few more? It can it can vary how I, how I approve the RSVPs. It could be that the uh, guests of honor wants to see and select may want to you know have a sense of what the what the gents look like. Uh, after a few experiences, may decide I want these ten people specifically. Uh, other people have said I don't want to. In fact, I don't. Not only do I not want to see their pictures, I want to be blindfolded during the event. Um, and that's always to me a lot of fun because I, I I get to choose. There are more than twenty million people living in New York City's metropolitan area, and it seems like there's a sex party out there for every single one of them. Whether they're into bukkake or big black cocks or big beautiful women. Whether they're trans people or kinky people or arty people or circus people or tall people or queer people or you name it. There's a party for everyone. Some of these parties are as exclusive and underground as Bukaki Social Club. Others are open to whomever stumbles across the event description on FetLife or Craigslist or Facebook. In this episode, we're going to hear about a lot of different parties and events, but they represent a tiny fraction of what's happening in New York City, which I think might actually be the sex party capital of the world. Welcome to episode 23 of Sex with Strangers, 
I'm your host, Chris Soa. The other parties discussed in this episode include Chemistry, Kinky Salon NYC, Hacienda, Countdown, Lip Service, Myth, Spam, Kinky Riot, Wilds Playground, and Curvy Fling. We'll also hear from Jack from Adult Socials, who runs three of New York's five on-premise swinger clubs. There's a lot to cover in this episode. Please stick around. I'm sure some of you are familiar with Billy Persida from the Man Whore podcast. He's based out of New York and often talks about sex parties on his show. He started responding to Bukaki and gangbang ads on Craigslist back in college. It's not that like I'm into, I want to be part of a gangbang. It was just in college, I did like sexual economics. I realized I had a better chance of, say, getting responded to on a Craigslist ad if I answered like an MW for M or an MW for MM ad uh, versus a W for M ad. So I was like, oh, if I'm okay with other cocks around me, I can increase the probability of getting my dick sucked. But as shrewd as that strategy may be, it can definitely backfire. The first time I ever did anything like that, I must have been 19 or 20. And it was supposed to be this like gangbang scenario where uh, she wanted four of us to be just like watching porn, jerking off, and then leave the apartment a little door a little ajar. She was gonna come in and like quote, like catch her boys watching porn. Right. And then it's like we're like mommy role play scenario. She was going to send us all to the bedroom and punish us by making us fuck her. And it's like 45 minutes in this like woman still isn't there. So you're just jerking off with these three guys. I'm, for I mean, 45 I'm, minutes I'm and, trying to. <laughs> and you're you're 19. How old do you think those guys? Were? Those all all the guys are in their mid 20s or in their 30s. So, I mean, I'm young by far, but um yeah, man, fucking, it's like watching that porno where you're, you ever see like a porno where, or you hear about the porno where it's like, uh, I thought, I actually watched a gay porn because I thought it was like a threesome, but the chick never showed up. Yeah, I lived it, dude. So about an hour in, I just like, you know, I'm, I'm good, guys. So I went to the bathroom and I finished because I'm not a monster. And then I, yeah, I left and departed. Billy eventually ended up attending Bukaki Social Club. And after a few times, our good friend Jefferson invited him to a bigger party called Hacienda, which seems to be a much better fit for Billy. It's really just like a house party, where there's also a lot of fucking going on. And that's the vibe I need. I need something low-key, low-pressure. Uh, that's the only way I can feel comfortable and be able to perform and have a good time. So it's the type of party where if I went there and just hung out and just talked to people... I could have, if I don't do any fucking or anything like that, I could still have a great time. And that's the, that's the vibe I'm looking for. So I was lucky enough that the first bona fide party I went to was that. And I was like, perfect, good. So Hacienda is basically the only party Billy attends these days. And it's not difficult to figure out why he keeps returning. You know, the last one was great. That was probably the one I had the most fun at. I don't do a lot of fucking uh, at the parties. I'll hook up, I'll fool around. I don't usually like to fuck people the first time I hook up with them. I'm a very weird whore that, like, I have this, like, weird rule. So I don't go there and be like, I'm going to try to fuck as many bitches as I can. But, I, like, I'm more like, I just want to make out with a bunch of people. Uh, I have very adorably high school goals. But the last party I went to, I went with a friend who, uh, who I've been hooking up with. And so, like, we fucked, and that was great because I don't usually fuck there. So 
cool, like Billy had sex at the sex party. Great, awesome, fun. Ended up talking to this girl at one point. Uh, later on in the party, we were flirting, we were talking, and we ended up fooling around and went down on each other, and that was... Uh, and then we talked for like an hour or two, then we went out on some dates afterwards. That was cool, because... I'm a hopeless romantic, so I, I like it when I get to go on dates. And then there was another point in the party where, like, my friend, she was getting fucked by this dude next to this couple. So at one point, like, she's making out with the girl and the couple and, like, maybe, like, squeezing the other guy's nipples while she's getting fucked. And I'm watching because she said, like, hey, it'd be hot if you watched. And I was like, it would be great and low pressure for me if I could just watch. So at one point, the guy, one of the guys waved me over and he just said, hey, you can stick your cock in her mouth if you'd like. So I'm like, oh, great. So like, instead of jerking off, like I'm now like dipping, I'm doing like the, you know, like I'm doing like squats almost. Like I'm doing like bend downs to get like my dick, the angle her mouth was at. So I've got to like kind of like get shimmy my dick that way. But I'm dick dipping my shaft into her mouth while she's getting fucked by this guy who is like now making out with my friend who's getting fucked by another dude. That was a highlight. <laughs> It, it sounds magical. Yeah. If Hacienda sounds like something you'd like to attend, I'm sorry to break this to you, dear listener, but your chances of getting in are low. I promise we're about to start talking about parties that are kind of easy to get into, but Hacienda is an exclusive underground affair. Like Bukaki Social Club, it's invite only. Jefferson no longer runs it, but he did originally start it. The party doesn't have a website, and there's no official public information about it online, at least as far as I can tell. But there are numerous press accounts about Hacienda Villa in Bushwick, an apartment complex for polyamorous people, which is in fact associated with the party. You can find a link to a 17-minute HuffPost live video segment about Hacienda Villa at sexwithstrangershow.com. I'm also going to link to another cool project from Team Hacienda. It's the swankiest Airbnb I've ever seen called Hacienda Maison. It's marketed as a clothing optional hedonist palace catering to alternative lifestyles. I'm also, of course, going to link to Billy's website, manhorpod.com. His show, The Man Whore Podcast, a Sex Positive Quest for Love is a deeply personal project for Billy. He started the show about two years ago, mostly as an attempt to figure out why women will hook up with him, but generally won't date him. I think it's slowly evolving past that initial concept, but the official description of the show still starts out with, every week, comedian Billy Proceda talks to women he's hooked up with about sex, dating, sexuality, love, and why they didn't work out. I'm not going to say I've listened to most of the Man Horror Podcast episodes, but I have enjoyed the ones I've heard. And if you like this show, there's a good chance Billy's podcast will appeal to you as well. Imagine listening to your like two friends who used to date have to go talk to each other awkwardly after like not talking to each other for a long time. It's kind of what my show is like. I have good rapport with some of my exes. I have not good rapport with others. Uh, it's pretty fun. And then I also have on sex educators, porn stars, sex workers, queer performers, and other stand-up comedians. And I think it's pretty fun. I've got some entertaining things lined up for 2016. Like I'm going to go speed dating on the podcast. Pretty excited about that. So, you know, maybe I'll meet the right girl. Finally, huh? We'll see. Trying to find the, the right blend of uh, slutty and, and mushy romantic.
I've got my fingers crossed for you, Billy. One of the topics that came up multiple times in my conversation with Mr. Proceda is how much he loves making out. He also expressed a desire to attend another New York party called Lip Service. And yes, it is a makeout party. The host of said party, Miss Scorpio, hosts an array of sexy events under the House of Scorpio banner and quite a few non-sexual events through Gemini and Scorpio. You'll hear some background noises during our conversation because her team was in the middle of setting up for a Gemini and Scorpio-sponsored David Bowie movie night. Miss Scorpio created lip service for the same reason many of the people I spoke with for this episode embarked on their own party-throwing adventures. I just wanted to do the kind of party that I thought was missing from the landscape. And with the makeout party in particular, what really appealed to me was that while we all love making out with people at a party, I mean, really, who doesn't love that? It's also kind of socially unacceptable to go to a regular party and then just suck face with somebody in the corner. It's not cool. So I wanted to create a space where that was not only okay, but encouraged. And at the same time, it's not a sex party. This is not, not where you're encouraged to go beyond a certain point. So it is very low risk. And for people who are new to this kind of playful lifestyle, it's, it's a really wonderful first event. They know they're not going to go past a certain point, so they can feel pretty safe in attending this event where they're surrounded by people who will not ask anything more of them than a kiss. As House of Scorpio events go, lip service is the tamest. Their current most popular party is called Countdown. It combines elements of lip service with a more X-rated type of event. The idea is that when you first get to the event, when doors open at 10, the first hour is just a cocktail party. You're just mixing, mingling, seeing who's here. From 11 to 12, our regular makeout rules apply, and a lot of people are ones who've been to lip service. And then at midnight, we lock the doors, and then anything goes. So once again, people really can know in advance what the, uh, the final outcome could be. They know the timeline. They know when they can exit. Nobody wants to exit, but they have the option to. <laughs> so you think people come thinking like, okay, I'm going to leave before yeah. 11. And oh, then they absolutely. Don't. Yeah. We always get new people. It, it's actually a wonderful mix for about every party. It's roughly half our regulars. There's an ongoing cast of regulars. And those are people who have been to basically every play party in New York. And then typically about half are people who have never been. So I bet a lot of those people come to Countdown thinking... This is safe. This is fine. I'm going to stick around until midnight and maybe 11 and then I'm out of here. Nobody ever leaves. <laughs> now, a year of running this party, I have never seen somebody exit at 12 because sexy activity has started taking place. They warm up to it. Also, I, I find that both Lip Service and Countdown have an unusually warm atmosphere. There's just something about the structure of the event and the kind of audience that we have, which, of course, comes from initially the dozen, year, the dozen years that we've run Gemini and Scorpio. So we already had a, a core audience when we started doing the sexy parties. So there's just something about the, the event itself that is very warm and welcoming. And uh, somebody said actually just, I think two parties ago, that this is the most wholesome sex party they've ever been to. So it's, it's not intimidating. People don't feel like it's this big, scary sex thing, which I think is a common fear when it comes to... Uh, 
uh, people who just are starting to play. So what I feel is important about the events that I do is that they allow sexuality to be safely and comfortably, comfortably present. And it isn't about this naughty, kinky underground thing, really. Sex is normal. Having an interest in sex is normal. And the most beautiful thing to me is that the kind of events that, that I'm doing are really opening up communication lines between couples or between individuals. And I, I've seen couples get made at these events. And it's beautiful when people meet and start a life together. I've seen relationships grow deeper. And I've seen couples say yes to things that they didn't think they could say yes to before. And all of that, I think, is much more beautiful and meaningful than just, hey, let's go get off in public. A lot of Miss Scorpio's events are costume parties that are big productions with elaborate themes like 20,000 licks under the sea, which of course included all manner of sexy sea creatures. There was the fairy forest frolic, which was billed as a moon-drenched wonderland of fairies, fantasy, and decadent delights. The first party we did was tremendous. It was Candyland. It was themed after the, the board game, and we spent hours making giant lollipops and candies and created the, uh, the, the paths on the floor that were the, the colorful squares from the game. That was a super fun one. Most of these parties take place in Miss Scorpio's Gowanus Loft, but that's not always the case. Occasionally, we get access to a bathhouse, and then we do a steam and sin party. Oh, wow. And that's a pretty good one. Yeah, being able to take over a, a Russian banya and to do all the, uh, the sensual steaming and jacuzzi-type activities and then be able to have a, a separate area that's a play area, that, that's been pretty great. A major element of Miss Scorpio's events is costuming. You are required to wear a costume or at the very least dress for the party. Casual wear is unacceptable. We want to see that you meant to come to our event when you left the house. Dressing appropriately shows intention, effort, and both an ability and a willingness to follow rules. It's easy to see why Miss Scorpio screens for these qualities, particularly at her sexy events. Kinky Salon has the same policy for the exact same reasons. And that's not the only thing House of Scorpio and Kinky Salon events have in common. The way we keep the party safe is really the PAL system. PAL is an acronym for Pervy Activity Liaison. It is part of the Kinky Salon Charter, and it's a very simple concept. Quoting the Kinky Salon website, When you come to Kinky Salon, you must bring a PAL with you, you can't pal someone you don't know. You must know them and trust them. Your pal can be the same gender, another gender, or even a couple. You are responsible for your pal's behavior, and they are responsible for yours. If either of you violate the charter, you will both be held responsible. You must arrive together, and we recommend leaving together. Kinky Salon was founded in 2003 in San Francisco by Polly Superstar and her then-partner, Scott Letkoff. The flagship chapter has remained active in San Francisco, 
And it seems like there are about 12 current chapters throughout Europe and the United States at the moment. New York is, of course, home to one of these chapters. Miss Scorpio is friends with Polly and Scott and originally got the green light to spearhead Kinky Salon NYC. We didn't really get into why that ultimately did not work out, and honestly, it doesn't really matter at this point. Melanie and Sarah are the people who run it now, and they've been running Kinky Salon New York for the last year and a half or so. This experience has been Sarah's first foray into the sex party world. Melanie, on the other hand, was in San Francisco back in 2003 and contributed to the creation of the original Kinky Salon Charter. Creativity and whimsy are a huge part of the Kinky Salon brand, and that sensibility is also present in the themes and names at the various parties. Here's Sarah sharing two of my favorite Kinky Salon NYC party names. The Great Twatsby. The, the what? The Great Twatsby. That was our that was our Gatsby theme sort of thing, but the name of the party was the Great Twatsby. And then we had a Midsummer Night's Cream, which was our summer solstice event. A Midsummer Night's Cream. I love it. Even though your average kinky salon party will feature quite a few great twats and plenty of cream, these events are more than just sex parties. There's a lot going on. Doors technically open at 10. Things start to get going around 11, 11.30. Um, our first couple parties, we closed the doors at 1, but now we're starting to close the doors at midnight just because that's when we have our cabaret is at midnight. We want everybody to see the show. What's the cabaret like? I imagine it varies. I'm going to let Melanie take this one. Um, yeah, I host the cabaret and organize it, and we have a whole range of awesome performers that I could see you as a cabaret host. You know, I kind of, I kind of do it. I kind of do it. Um, but yeah, I, so I open it up and I just usually talk to the people a little bit about what we've been up to lately. And, you know, of course, all the things since we're volunteer organized and run, the volunteers are called our VIPs. So, you know, they get a huge shout out every time we throw a party. And um, then we've launched into our cabaret and we've had everything from burlesque as you figure we would. We've had fire acts, we've had drag, we've had boylesque, we've had burlesque, we've had drag kings, and we have had bands who play sexy, crazy songs and wear crazy costumes and... Really, really innocent sounding songs, like singer-songwriters until you start listening to the lyrics and realize that it's not that innocent. <laughs> yeah, and so we've run the gamut with performers so it's like, not like you're just coming and you're going to see some burlesque performers. You're going to see a real cabaret with a whole bunch of different acts going on and it's always a whole bunch of different And how, people, how long so. is the cabaret? Anywhere from like half an hour to the max like 45 minutes. I, us I usually try to have like three to five performers per cabaret. Oh, we've had belly dancers, we've had aerialists and sideshow stuff, like everything, so. And I, I imagine they just help set a tone for the rest of the night, maybe serve as muses for people. Exactly, yeah, so that's just kind of, that's kind of like the launching part, you know, it's time to the real like party action and then after the cabaret we all do our kinky salon pledge and then we send everybody out to have a good time for the rest of the night. I'm excited because we had a really major fire performer show up at our last party and he was really happy that we can do fire in the space and he was like, I don't want to perform, I want to do a fire scene with my girlfriend and I was like, 
oh yeah, oh yeah, 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 that needs to happen and I want you to come back to the next party. So I'm really looking forward to something like that happening. And then I think we'll probably just come up with, we always have some sort of like community like activities that we try to do. We've brought in Twister before and that was a big hit. But like just little like game type things or you know, Stuff like that to bring people in. We have a body painter who comes in and does body painting and everybody's really likes him a lot. Photography is also a fixture at these parties, but of course it's handled with great care and discretion. We have a costume party, so we want to document all of these awesome costumes that people have, but a lot of people don't want this part of their life to right. get out into the kind of outside world. So our solution that we figured out after a number of parties was a photo booth that's a fixed space with a photographer and people can go to the photo booth if they want to be photographed and get their pictures taken. And the different parties post it in different ways. We post the pictures on our secret Facebook group so only people who are in that group can see the, the pictures. If people don't even want their pictures there, we'll just email their pictures to them so they could still get their costume documented and like their look documented or whatever and then not have their picture put up onto any sort of internet, you know, type thing. And then last party, we had a physical photo booth. Like there would be at a bar and you get a printout of your pictures right there and you can just take that home. And you have the option of posting them to Facebook. There's a little kiosk where you can just click, click and post it from there. Or you can not and just have the, your printout of the pictures and just to take home with you immediately. Melanie and Sarah both stressed that at its core, Kinky Salon is about fostering community. Kinky Salon is really good for meeting new people. And if you go and you only know one person or one or two people, but you want to sort of broaden your social circle, I've described Kinky Salon a lot of times as like a house party. Like people are having sex at house parties all the time. Here we just have designated spaces for it. And it's a lot more chill. And you can just like sit around the table in the kitchen and, you know, eat something and have a drink and make new friends and meet new people and people that you're going to hang out with outside of the party. We're growing a really cool community. And that's like one of the main things that I hear from people who come. They say they love the vibe. They love the fact that it feels more of like a family party and they love just coming back and seeing the same people and seeing new people and just kind of the growth of the parties. Despite the prominent use of the word kinky, Kinky Salon isn't a hardcore BDSM event, though BDSM is often incorporated into these parties. Kinky Salon NYC, for instance, recently started including a dungeon space play area at their parties, which they like to refer to as a fungin. Something that might come to mind when you're thinking about these very creative, costume-oriented parties that Miss Scorpio and the Kinky Salon folks host is Burning Man. Burning Man and burner culture has influenced the broader sex party world a great deal. You can find a link at sexwithstrangershow.com to a Reddit AMA with Polly Superstar, the founder of Kinky Salon where a questioner brought up Burning Man, and Polly replied with, There's a very burner vibe to our events. We were featured in the book Tribes of Burning Man by Steve Jones. Although we've never actually had a kinky salon Burning Man camp, we exist alongside the culture of Burning Man, and our events attract a similar crowd. We value community, volunteerism, creativity, and freedom. And that's kind of burnery. So it's not surprising that the term burner came up quite a bit during my conversations in New York. Kenny Blunt, who started a party called Chemistry in May of 06, counts Burning Man as a major influence. It definitely started as a burner party, a, a real 
um, a heavier burner vibe, just because myself and and our third producer uh, Sheila, we were in in the burner. We're really deep in the burner um, party culture here in New York, and we're spending all of our time with that, and you know, learning what that was about. Um, and when you start a party too, you need you know you need to get clientele. So that's kind of where who we advertised to at first. Burning Man's changed over the years, but back then, and I think it's still to newbies feels a little bit like this. It was kind of like a club. Burning Man burners were kind of like a club. You you felt if you knew someone had been at Burning Man, you could trust them. You know they they shared something with you, and uh, so in a way, early on, that was kind of our screening. You know, we just knew other burners are going to be cool and they're going to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we started to grow, you know, and you always learn from mistakes, you know, things happen, you know, at events, you're like, wait, I didn't like how that went. Um, maybe burners don't get it all the time. Uh, so maybe we got to start doing this a little different. Maybe we got to add this. And I mean, I still like the creativity of the burner culture, but as that becomes something more in my rearview mirror, not a constant part of my life. Um, the party has shifted. Part of that shift was making it so only chemistry members can attend the parties. Anyone over 18 can apply to join chemistry, and each application must include a picture. Sometimes even just the spirit of the picture speaks to you. Sometimes I, I'm shocked at like how sloppy somebody, some pictures that someone will send in for that is like, Really? That's that's the picture you want to send? I mean, I I could probably guess that you clean up a little better than that, but the picture tells a lot in terms, you know, I mean, my view of what's attractive isn't everybody's view of what's attractive, and we don't, you know, we definitely don't have a, uh, we don't have an age limit, although 80, 80% fit in their 20s, 30s, early 40s, um, you know, but we have we have some very sexy members who are beyond that. And so far, if I had to distill it down to one word of what's what, what are you looking for most from people? It's effort. The questions for applicants that probably require the most effort are what is your philosophy on sex and what role does sexuality play in your life? Some people don't care to think about it much. They, their thoughts are just, I like sex. Sex is good. More, more is better. Um, you know, and, and and some people will will get a, a half page where they've really been thinking about this for a long time. Um, my favorite my favorite screenings are the the ones uh, that say I really enjoy doing this, or even better, some who say this really pissed me off at first when I read these questions. Like, how dare you? But then the more and more I started to do it, I really enjoyed the process, and me and my partner really had a great time doing this together. I don't get those that often, but. Every once in a while, people will say something like that. Reading people's responses for close to 10 years at this point has been a rewarding experience for Kenny. I mean, a lot of them, I think, are, are really moving, and I learn a lot from them. I mean, I, I, I feel at some point I'm going to gather them all and, and or gather all the best ones and, you know, and write a book. You can really write a, a really rich uh, a sociological study of of sexuality from what some of the people write, you know, and, and I am proud to say, I think that we really get some of the, the top thinkers in this area into finding us. I don't read in, in with the idea that I've got the answers. No, I mean, I, I, 
I learn a lot. The guest list for chemistry events are curated with several objectives in mind. Finding the right gender balance is an essential part of that process. A lot of couples are looking predominantly to play with women. Some are looking to play with other couples. There, there are some that are looking to play with, with single men or to add men to their, uh, their mix. But the vast majority is looking for this. The vast majority of women that, that write in, even single, a lot of them are looking for, for other women. So we create a female energy-centric environment where that's kind of the core energy that we want to exude. Kenny's ideal gender balance is 60% female and 40% male. And part of achieving this female energy-centric environment is strategic pricing. The low price that someone will pay, a female who's been to the party before, a returning chemistry member will pay $20. On the, on the high end, a couple, so a man and a woman together, so it's a little hard to compare, uh, coming for the first time, will pay uh, 200 and not getting an advance ticket, so just paying at the door, getting the door price, will pay $200. And then a, a man by himself at the door, what would he pay? A man by himself at the door, well, he won't be coming for the first time. So that, I see. that kind of takes that out of the equation. So a returning man coming paying at the door would be the same thing, $200. Um, you know, but... Most of that rarely happens. Most most of our men buy the tickets in advance. The and, and what, what? How does that bring down the price? How much does that bring down the price? Oh, uh, he would be paying then one thirty. That pricing structure, though effective for what chemistry is trying to accomplish, is controversial. A, a lot of people get turned off by the way that we approach it, and you know, and I under, I understand that. And um, you know, one of the other party producers. And this is maybe a whole can of worms I'm off by talking about, but you know he doesn't like the fact, and I understand this, and maybe it's a bit old-fashioned on our part um, that we have a differentiation in the cost of the party between men and women. Kenny himself has mixed feelings about it. I wrestle with it a little bit too because I mean I I definitely want to separate ourselves from like the old swinger model. That's one of those. Um, it's that's not a deal breaker, but that's a little bit of one of those red flags you talked about earlier. If if someone like really wears that swinger as a badge of honor, and now we, you know, you gotta let me in because I've just been a swinger forever, and I know everything there is about swingers and swinger, 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 swinger. So I I understand that that like you know men women differentiating is a little bit of a throwback to that old old fashioned thing, but you know I'm like you, I'm from the Midwest, I am old fashioned. It's easy to see why some men object to this pricing structure, even if they appreciate the effect it has on gender ratio at these parties. But some women object to gendered pricing as well, and you can count Miss Scorpio among them. I am sick of sex parties where my value as a woman drops if I get a partner. I find that incredibly insulting. Um, I have gone to many sex parties in back in the day when I used to go out, before this became my job, when I used to go out to those party parties, I basically found it insulting that if I, as the unicorn, 
wanted to go to these events. I was welcome with open arms and please come free. No, it's fine. Just show up. And then the moment I have a partner that I want to take to these events, oh, suddenly it's 150. Come on, people. Fuck you. Just no. (laughs) (laughs) I can see where that point of view is coming from, as well as some of the counter arguments to it. But either way, assigning different value to people based on their genitals or gender identity is always going to bother some people, regardless of its rationale or approach. Miss Scorpio likes the PAL system in part because it is gender neutral. And there's something political about the inclusiveness of the events thrown by both Miss Scorpio and Kinky Salon. I also think Kenny goes out of his way to make chemistry as inclusive as he believes he can make it while still staying true to the brand he has created. But part of that brand is exclusivity. The parties are also meant to be major events. They're huge spectacles, which is a key difference between what he does and the old swinger model. A lot happens at chemistry besides sex. Another thing that's been introduced lately and I I think is a revelation, I like it happen all the time, is that we have a jazz band now at at the beginning. So... What that does, in, in my mind, is it really creates, uh, it, it almost creates several different parties in one. At first, you have like the, the, the wine and cheese kind of mixer, where it's just like, hush, and it's just talking, and you're getting to meet people. And then comes the burlesque, and then the DJ hits it, and it becomes a dance party, and then becomes a sexual uh, orgy, and then people go home. Sometimes and, we have and, and, yeah, and then we add other, you know, we add Fire other things based on the... Uh, the knife throwing, depends on the thing. Yeah, knife throwing, we did it for a pirate party, yeah. that was fun. The second voice in that clip is Oksana. She's Kenny's better half and has been involved with chemistry for a few years at this point. Another theme they've used a couple of times revolves around motorcycles and is thrown in collaboration with a local motorcycle club. These are all very cool guys. It's not not quite your, like, really scary Hells Angels. Uh, <laughs> some of them will bring their beautiful bikes, and they'll be, like, centerpieces, like, throughout throughout the space. Uh, an amazing thing is we'll, we'll do it on a spring or, or summer night, and for the first hour and a half of the party, these guys will give rides around the neighborhood, which gets people juiced up. Do people and, fuck on bikes? Uh, so I can see the bikers not loving that. No, was, they, they there don't. There was a couple of bikers who didn't mind that. Well, okay. I, I don't think there was actual sex on the bikes, no, but, but there was uh, the Sibian, which is a you know thirteen hundred dollar sex right. toy. Yeah. It actually, one guy took the seat off and it fit perfectly. I mean, it was right. like it was made for it. So he just had a bike where the seat was the Sibian, and that was, of course, a big, that sounds big hit. amazing. Yeah. And that was just like a surprise of the night. We hadn't planned that, and it yeah. just kind of we had the Sibian. Like, yeah, let's put that together, and <laughs> it worked. There was it also worked. a photographer who was a biker. And he did some very specific controlled pictures on the bike. It was really sexy, really hot. So yeah, so, so people got like portraits of themselves mm-hmm. being sexy on motorcycles. I mean, yeah, the, 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 the biker is one of those, you know, one of the, the, our BDSME themes of the year. We have a few parties that will go that way. I think my conversation with Kenny highlights just how loaded the term swinger is. The Wikipedia page for swinging defines it as a non-monogamous behavior in which both singles and partners in a committed relationship 
engage in sexual activities with others as a recreational or social activity. That definition is pretty broad, and it could easily be applied to a lot of people, including some friends of mine, who reject the label swinger, mostly because of negative connotations they've associated with it. Where those connotations come from and whether there's any validity to them is a whole complicated thing we'll explore in another episode, I promise. I definitely want to take a deep look at swinger identity and culture and the space that label inhabits within the wider universe of non-monogamy. Swinging is a huge world, though. Despite what any naysayers have to say, Jack is a proud swinger who runs the company Adult Socials with his partner Jill. They have a mailing list of around 250,000 people, and they ran more than 1,000 swinger events in 2015 alone. You're in Bowery Bliss right now, which is one of four or five uh, on-premise swinger clubs. We actually own three of the on-premise swinger clubs in New York City. This is considered, at this point, the premier one. I mean, that could change in four years, but right now we're considered, you know, like the hot, cool swinger club. We get a lot of Europeans, we get a lot of uh, locals. And when I say the hot, it doesn't mean like it's snobby or anything like that. It's just the in place right now for swingers. In addition to Bowery Bliss, Adult Socials runs Pendulum and Caligula, New York. You see this club, this is an East Village, 4,400, 4,500 square foot, three floor club. Pendulum is on one floor. It's got a much heavier fetish feel to it. Granted, more modern fetish, not a Middle Ages dungeon, but more of a modern dungeon feel to it. Caligula is a dance club. We bought a dance club, used to be called Notes, converted it into an actual uh, swinger club, but like huge, huge, I mean, you're on the dance floor right now, and it's in here it's, you know, 10 by 12, and our dance floor there is literally like over a thousand square feet. I mean, it's a big, huge dance floor. It's probably the size of this whole floor. The events they run are as diverse as the spaces they own, running the gamut from the various iterations of the classic swinger model with parties comprised mostly of couples and single women, where the men are largely straight and the women are mostly bisexual, to parties organized around male bisexuality and events focused on gender fluidity and cross-dressing. Since Pendulum is a dungeon, events there often have a BDSM feel to them. And the list goes on. Part of throwing a thousand events a year is appealing to many different types of people. There are quite a few differences between chemistry and adult socials, but there also are similarities like the pricing structure. Looking through some events on the adult socials website, I see an event where tickets for single women are $20, couples are 100 and single men are not allowed. At another event, single females are free, couples are $60, and single men are $140. A major difference between adult socials events and chemistry, kinky salon, and house of Scorpio, etc., is the narrow focus on sex. The pageantry of these giant theatrical parties is great, and a lot of the folks who enjoy the burlesque and the party games and so on would probably be turned off by the bluntness of some of the swinger events. Just like some swingers would feel out of place at chemistry since they didn't go to a sex party to listen to a jazz band. They came to fuck. 
That being said, there's also a huge cross-section of people who appreciate both kinds of events. What we've found is that there's a lot of different types of swingers and you approach it in different ways. What I like about the uh, swinger world are the couples that get off on seeing each other having a good time. I'm talking about actually physically getting off on seeing your partner's eyes roll back in their head. So for me, th that intimacy you could share, and it's kind of like, I mean, when you think about it, it's kind of like living the life of a rock star without being a rock star. I mean, we, we you know, the average guy that's a swinger wakes up in the morning, looks in the mirror and just laughs his ass off because it's like, this is what a lot of guys want. He's got it, and he's got it without having to make tons of money. It actually, I've noticed, you know, like swingers, um, couples that are into it, it actually saves them money in the long run because they're not having the, like, you know, it's not that expensive to be a swinger. You know, they say, oh, it's $100 to go to the party. It's like, yeah, if you go to a regular club, you're going to drop a couple of hundred. I mean, guys go to fucking strip bars and drop it four or five hundred. And to us, I mean, swing, people in the swimmer world, I mean, we kind of laugh at guys that go to strip clubs. The night I visited Bowery Bliss, Curvy Becca was hosting an event called Curvy Fling. The people who come to your parties are BBWs and their admirers. Bingo. And BBWs range, because I get curvy girls that are just not, you wouldn't consider them a BBW to there's no mistaking that she's a BBW, right? So it's, it's kind of like, I say 12 to 22 and beyond. Just to clarify, that sizes 12 to 22 and beyond. I don't want anyone to get confused about that because these are obviously adults-only events. BBW stands for Big Beautiful Women. Although I stressed that swingers events are more straightforwardly sex-focused than some of the other events, there's still often a party atmosphere. It's very social. Sometimes I have to remind people that they're in a swing club. Because people sit and they, you know, they enjoy each other's company, they meet, they mingle, there's laughter, and I'm like, um, let's get She's to pointing it. at her watch. <laughs> like, let's get to it, people. This is not Starbucks. Let's get <laughs> um, so uh so it's very social and people, you know, play at their own pace and it's a very comfortable setting. So if you wanna come and just Jump right in, you can. And if you don't want to, if you want to just talk, I have people come to just watch. So it really runs a gamut, so it's fun. Becca puts a lot of effort into making her events inviting, particularly to larger women who might not always feel welcome at other swinger gatherings. That's why positive feedback from women means a lot to her. When like a woman comes up to me and tells me that, you know, she felt really comfortable, you know, she didn't have to weren't worried about feeling insecure or, you know, she knew this was space for her. So that, that, that alone makes it a good night for Has me. that ever been an issue where you feel like maybe the vibe is a little not so It's a huge, especially in Swingerland because, you know, in Swingerland, if, you know, you're a curvy girl and there's a room full of skinny chicks, you might feel uncomfortable, you know, and, um... It's different in Fetishland, because in Fetishland, you know, curvy girls are the thing, you know? But here, it's not. So it's not surprising that Becca has started hosting some events that venture a bit more into Fetishland. She recently started throwing parties at Pendulum, the dungeon space mentioned earlier, and she's been really happy with the results. I was surprised how many swingers got into the kink stuff. 
and how many gangsters got into the swing stuff. So I'm like, you've all been hiding from each other and you just need to come out and play. Adult Socials and Michelle Wilde co-own Pendulum together. Adult Socials throws kinky swinger parties there, and Michelle throws her own much more BDSM-heavy Wilds playground events in the space with her partner Joshua. A big part of why Michelle opened the space is because she doesn't think there's enough sex at BDSM parties. They are mostly just play parties, and she doesn't understand why sex isn't embraced more in those environments. To me, it seems a little crazy that you'd be okay with somebody hitting you with something as opposed to them sticking your dick inside of you. I mean, it seems a little insane, but that's just how people roll in the fetish community. So we wanted a space where you're, anything can go, anything can go, any gender can go. That's the other thing, too. Like, if you're whatever, it's cool. It's probably more common at your parties for people to have actual sex. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. At I mean, that's just expected. Like, if you guys are throwing a party, someone's going to... Somewhere, something's going to be happening in some sort of capacity. I mean, whether it's just oral sex or it's actually full-on sex, it just depends. Yeah. But something like that's definitely going to happen. They've only had the pendulum space since October of 2015, but they're already thinking about changing things up in the future. We want to definitely get more equipment, and then we actually eventually want to open another space that's bigger. Yeah. And just have it us and no swingers. And just have it every single nothing against right, 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 right. But it's, just just have it every you'll single have more night. Flexibility. Yeah, you know, and, and um yeah, definitely more flexibility. Because every time I bring a new piece of equipment, every the swingers are like, Oh my god, what's that for? <laughs> yeah. Can I put my cock in it? <laughs> <laughs> so they feel a little gawked at by swingers sometimes, but overall they're very happy with their events thus far. In addition to the parties, the space also hosts classes. The day I visited Pendulum, there was a rope class going on. And then we're having fire play, we have wax play, we're having a decorative needle class. So we're trying to start a whole like school of kink to teach people. And not just teach people that, um, you know, newbies, but people that also been in the scene a really long time and want to learn how to do stuff. Or relearn how to do it. Yeah, or do it right. There, of course, are a lot of classes available in New York, some of them sponsored by people you've heard from on this show. House of Scorpio offers the Bedroom Badass series, which includes classes relating to both BDSM and polyamory. Adult Socials also does a free twice-monthly Swingers 101 forum hosted by Jack and Jill. Michelle and Joshua are eager to share their passion for kink with the general public, whenever and wherever they get the opportunity. I am a firm believer everyone has kink in them. They just don't have the partners they can discuss it with. And how do you personally get vanilla people to open up? I ask them outright. Me too. Like, if we're sitting at a bar and there's a couple next to us, yeah, I'll just say, are you guys into kink? <laughs> and they'll look at me like... No, what? these are just random people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I'll give you a good example. I'm a professional photographer. I shoot boudoir for a living. I had two... Religious girls, religious Jewish girls, modern Orthodox, but religious nevertheless, they came in, and I don't know what made me bring up, I was talking, started talking about rope, and I actually was suspended for the first time, and I had pictures of myself. I showed them the pictures, and they're like, oh, wow, that's really cool, and then I told them about the fetish parties. They actually came with their husbands. And that was a lot of and fun. And they had so, and they actually emailed us the next day 
thanking us, like, oh my God, this is exactly what our marriage needed. Because they learned and about their partners. Of, yeah, and neither of us, like, we weren't really sure what to do, and, like, you totally opened the door for us. Yeah, it was fantastic to, oh, see, it was amazing. to see their faces it was and their, their appreciation for <laughs> it was amazing. opening the door for them. Was... You guys are, like, kink evangelicals. Yes! Like yes! Televangelists. <laughs> 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 I will take their preaching over Pat Robertson's any day. Another BDSM party producer I spoke with is IOD. The main party he runs right now is called Kinky Riot. He often throws events at Pendulum, but we spoke at another dungeon, the Parthenon, where he also sometimes throws parties. One thing that can make for a great kink party is simply being in the presence of people have figured out who they are and what they want and aren't afraid to show the world their wildest fantasies. Some of these folks are real characters and IOD has met quite a few of them. My friend George, he's a fucking human carpet. The guy, he comes regular, he throws on a carpet. He wraps himself in a fucking carpet and lays in front of the bar and just lets people step on him. Who the fuck am I to tell him he can't do that? You want to pay 30 bucks to get stepped on like a carpet? Sure, do it. Be happy doing it. As long as you, are you happy, George? Yes, I'm happy. Okay, cool. There used to be this guy that used to dress up like Jesus, except he would have two double horns. I shit you not. Jesus sandals, robe, like brown, shitty robe, uh, long hair. Jesus with two horns. And he would just dance for three or four hours, and then he would pack his shit and go, whatever, man. <laughs> like, if that's your cup of tea, then by all means, drink it. And then there's Monster. Monster's been in the scene for like a hundred years. Guy's huge, six foot seven, 330 pounds, massive, submissive male, walks around drinking women's piss. The only downfall to this, the place that we're in right now, Parthenon, is that it has one bathroom, right? So what does he do? He's a fucking genius. He stands on the bathroom line and just waits for girls that can't wait. And he's like, just pee into my cup. I'll drink it. Now, he's not walking up to girls and like, you have to pee in my cup. He's right. like, hey, listen, you don't want to wait on this line. <laughs> you can pee in my cup and then I'll drink it. And then sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. But never have I ever had a girl walk up to me and be like, uh, that guy monster is, is forcing me to pee. Never. He right. just asked me. And sometimes it it, it comes down to how you ask something more than anything else. Because that could be a real creepy question. But if you can disarm people with charm and go about it the right way. But I mean, Monster's a good guy. He doesn't mean any harm. He just kind of likes to drink pee. Whatever, man. Whatever floats your boat. As long as he's not bothering anybody, I don't give a shit. But IOD's guests aren't the only ones who put on a show. He likes to perform for his crowds as well. I remember one time this girl was like, I, I really want to squirt in front of everyone. I'm like, no problem. <laughs> so I put her on her spanking bench, face up, and there's a picture on my fat left. I take a Hitachi um, to her clit, and then I take a giant dildo <laughs> and just start ramming her with it. So at this point, everybody's watching. There's like 60 people in a room that holds maybe 20. And, you know, the, the crowd moves a little closer and a little closer and a little closer. And I'm like, guys, be careful. That's the danger zone. And lo and behold, the girl starts squirting. I pull the dildo out and she hits the entire first row. <laughs> <laughs> Gallagher show everywhere. People are like, 
you know, monsters running in to like catch some of it. <laughs> Fucking, and the three, those poor littles. I remember it was three littles that were sitting in the first row and they all got just nailed. Like, like age players or like. Yeah, yeah they were all yeah. littles. They were all, they were like coloring in color books or something. <laughs> Ruined them for the rest of the party. It was great. If you're curious about what littles are, exactly, check out episode 15 of this show, Sex with Age Players. That scene IOD described reminds me of another amazing moment described to me by Andy, who runs a party called Myth. I will say I was experimenting with some different recording techniques when I was in New York, and some of those techniques worked better than others, and I feel like this conversation sounds a little like it was recorded inside a heating vent which is unfortunate, but I'm confident enough in the content of our conversation that I think you'll be able to easily overlook it. Andy prefers the pronoun they, and they do amazing things. One of Andy's core missions is dismantling the barriers between fantasy and reality. And to a certain extent, I think that's a common thread throughout all of these parties, but Andy's explicit focus on this goal creates its own special kind of magic. At some of my parties, I do a thing called the Fantasy Fulfillment Program, where people write in and they tell me about a fantasy that they, have, that they haven't effectuated, either because it's, you know, they're too shy or it's too complex or it needs too many resources, and then I put it together for them and I make it happen. So at Myth 4, I had one attendee who said this fantasy that she had that she'd had forever was that she really wanted to penetrate as many people as at, at the same time as she could. That party was at a club, which our presence there was questionably legal, so I'm not going to name it, but I will say, like, Spoon played on that stage. Um, so she was sitting on this inflatable bridge chair, and she had each of her fists and each of her feet and her strap on all in different people. Um, and the... As we were making that happen, you know, we had all of the bottoms lined up in a row and we had a, a whole team of people with lube that were prepping everyone and, you know, we had some condom fairies coming around. Oh, you need more lube. Oh, you need another glove. Oh, your condom broke. Have another condom. Um, and it was this beautiful collective effort of probably 20 people making this one person's fantasy come to life in this really beautiful way. Um, and so while, while that was happening, you know, she had, she had each hand in someone, she had each foot in someone, she had someone else riding her strap on, um, and she was just, the look on her face when that was happening, when, when everyone had come together, the whole party was stopping to watch, everyone was, like, pausing mid-blowjob to, like, see what was happening, um, everyone coming together to just bring that person's fantasy to life in this one moment. That also, I would say that felt like a pinnacle for me. Myth is a queer party, but of course the term queer can mean different things to different people. So Andy interprets queer in a broad, inclusive way. I don't tell people that self-identify as queer, no, you're not queer enough, um, which is a pretty common uh, fear, I think, with queer spaces. People are like, well, am I, am I queer enough? Am I trans enough? Am I radical enough for this? Um, and I say, look, if you self-identify as queer for some definition of that. If, if queerness and radicalness and uh, living outside the, the boundaries of what you're told to be doing and critically examining the narratives that are put upon you 
in the way that you're supposed to live and deciding for yourself if that's the way that you want to live or not, you're queer enough for me. The party is also priced in a way that reflects Andy's radical, queer, anti-elitist values. So a lot of the parties you see, it's like $50, $70, $100 to get in. Um, and I'm like, the people that can drop $100 like that are not the people I want to party with. You know, my, my demographic is like broke-ass, gutter-punk, tranimal sex workers. All of my parties are sliding scale. Um, and I never charge for anyone more than $20 to get in. Um, for most people, it's 10 and if you volunteer, it's 5 um, And so that really allows, and you know, we also say, if you can't, if you can't do 5 let me know, and we'll work on something. Um, we have a ton of volunteers, we have a ton of people who participate not by contributing money, but by contributing their energy and their time. But the low price doesn't mean that just anyone can get in. Myth is an invite-only party with an application process. Usually only about half of the people who apply receive invitations. Partly because of venue capacity limitations, but also because the guest list is highly curated. Andy likes to separate applications into three categories. There's fuck yes, fuck no, and then maybe. The fuck no's are probably the easiest to identify. And then we have people who register who are like, I'm six foot two and I have an 11 inch cock and I like to travel. And I'm like, that's great for you. Sorry about that application, by the way. <laughs> I'm like, that's great for you. And there are a lot of parties for you. And right. this is not the party for you. Myth Party is a political statement. Andy started it in 2010 at a time when, at least according to a few people I spoke with on this trip, New York sex party culture, as well as BDSM play party culture, wasn't as thoughtful as it is now. There were more issues around both physical and emotional safety in play spaces. We haven't focused on it much in this episode, but every sex party producer featured in this episode talked a little bit about how they keep their parties safe and welcoming environments. And everyone seemed very focused on this important aspect of throwing a sex party. Andy achieves this through curation. Others, of course, use the PAL system or simply limit the attendance of unaccompanied men. And it is single men who are often the problem if there is a problem. Another queer party producer I reached out to is Red. Red produces Submit, which is only open to trans people and women, and another party called Spam that's open to anyone queer identified. I ended up not speaking to Red, but I did sit down with Ames Bex, a photographer and porn director, who also happens to be a trans man, to talk about his experiences attending Spam. The really cool thing about Spam is that there's a room that's couples and trans only. And I think at first I was like, that's so dumb. Why do they have to do that? Because I'm not, I'm not like politically correct. I'm, I'm like a bad tranny. I'm like the bad kind. I'm serious because it's like, why, like, why do they, why do we need our own special room? You know, like, why do we need, you know, why do we need a home base? Like that doesn't, like, can't we just be like everyone else? Because we are like everyone else. Like, why do we need a special, like, safe haven for us? That's stupid. But you ended up liking but it. But I ended up liking it. <laughs> because there's some nights there that it's just so cruisy in the main space of cisgendered men that are older 
No, are these uh, mostly gay men who are? They're um, they might be gay men, or I guess queer men. Yeah, I mean, but they're they're, they're men older. Who are men who are looking for men in that possibly moment, looking for, for the men. most part, or no? You know what? I'm not sure. Oh, okay, but they're just very persistent. So I don't know what they're <laughs> no looking matter for. what they're looking for. Yeah, I'm they're not sure looking, they're looking for. for but they're very persistent. Um, and they're so persistent, they're looking into the women, the the trans in couples room, um, and jerking off to nothing. Like, they're just so persistent to get into this room. And literally, there's people, like, in this room just, like, having a drink and chatting. Um, and they're just, like, peering through this curtain, um, like, desperate to get in there. So there's some nights that are... It's a forbidden place. Yeah, I mean, it's they're, like, desperate to go in. And I just want to be like, fine, let's pretend we're in a relationship. Come in this room and see there's nothing cool happening. But you like that space where nothing cool is happening because you can just chill. Yeah, but sometimes there is. I mean, there, sometimes they do have demonstrations happening. Um, there are people playing, but it's it's a safe place to be, and there's not going to be anyone really um, strongly cruising you in that space. Um, it's just a little bit more um, respectful in that area. These type of parties don't work unless people feel comfortable and safe. So I really like the idea of this separate room where... People can escape the male gaze. Spam, like some other parties, also enables people to cordon themselves off in open play spaces. They do have gates that they could, that you can put up. It's a chain. So if you're playing with someone and you don't want anyone to join, that's what the chain means. Ames doesn't attend spam very often, but he almost always has a great time when he does. The one exception had to do with anxiety and not exactly feeling secure in the space. And the second we take our clothes off and check our clothes, the fire alarm went off and it was in the middle of the winter. And I had a few drinks and something about that experience, just like, I just lost it. Cause I'm like, oh my God, is there gonna be like 50 people standing outside in Brooklyn in their underwear while the building gets evacuated? And I just, and, and we didn't have to get evacuated. Everything was fine. But I don't know. Like, I just was like panicked the whole night. I'm like, where's that little cubby hole in my underwear? Like, where's all my things? I, I just, I, you know, I, I was just like nervous about it. So that kind of, um, it was funny. It put you it in a bad headspace like, from the yeah, beginning. It was really crazy. There's very little a party producer can do about fire alarms. But I think that story is a great example of just how fragile a person's sense of safety and security can be. And I feel like all of the producers featured in this show understand this and put a lot of effort into setting a tone where the magic, beauty, and freedom that should be part of every sex party can really flourish. I think a sex party should be something that everyone in New York City attends once. Maybe not, maybe anyone and everyone in the... I don't know. <laughs> everyone don't in the, on the planet? Anyone on the planet who... <laughs> I just think it's a really great experience to attend once. Even if you're just going to watch and you're just going to be a voyeur, it's just a really good experience just to see how other people approach sexuality. I talked to so many people when I was in New York that were actually going to release a short companion episode from this trip pretty soon. It will feature more of my conversation with Ames where we get into his career in porn and his ongoing transition. It will also feature Ephraim John Gonzalez from HellfirePress.com, Selena Fire, Patricia Johnson, and Mark Michaels from Pleasure Salon New York, 
Patricia and Mark have co-authored five books together, including Tantra for Erotic Empowerment and Great Sex Made Simple. I could have crammed all of these people into this episode, but I'd rather do a bonus episode where you get to spend more time with them. So that should be out soon. Thank you to everyone who appeared on this show. I have to go catch a flight to Juneau, Alaska right now. But we'll be back with that bonus episode before you know it, and then an episode from Alaska. Special thanks to Lee, Sean Payne, Louis DeMeo, and Ben Jordan the Flashbulb. See you soon.